Welcome back to another episode of The Conversation with yours truly, Nina Turner. I am so glad to be here tonight and especially with my sister girlfriend, the one and only CEO of Democracy for America, Yvette Simpson. Sister Simpson, before I, only, before I start rattling off all of your accolades and accomplishments, I just wanted to get it out there that you are my sister. Yes, first and foremost, your sister. First and foremost, a practicing <laughs> attorney, a person who is a thought leader in this space. You are, in fact, the first black woman to hold the position of CEO at Democracy for America. So she is a trailblazer as well. A correspondent on ABC News on a regular basis. She holds up the progressive mantle. I want y'all to know the progressive mantle on mainstream TV, which we need, certainly need more of that. But most of all, I am just so proud to call her my sister girlfriend. That means more to me than anything else. So glad that you are here with us today on the conversation. Thank you for having me. I love you so much. And uh, we're gonna try our best to be good today and yeah. not uh, do the thing that we do when we you know, get together and we love on each other, which we're gonna do. And then also yes. speak truth. Uh, which we're gonna do, but we're gonna try not to like. We're gonna bring people a little bit into the way we roll, but we don't want them to go all way. We gotta fast. Just a little it bit. A just a little bit. Business. Yeah, yeah. You know how much I love you, honor you. I'm so appreciative of who you are in this movement. Uh, you don't get enough credit for the sacrifices that you've made, for the commitment that you make for the people. We are so grateful to have you, and I can't wait to have a conversation with you about the state of our country. Right Thank you so much. And back at you. I just love you so much. So I we keep up with one another. Obviously, we are friends and sister girlfriends, but we also are sisters in this struggle, this dynamic struggle for justice. And you leading a national organization with over a hundred, I mean, excuse me, with over a million members. Mm-hmm. And also in your role as both leading that kind of organization, but also being a thought leader in the movement. You are constantly weighing in on the issues of our day. And one of some of the things that are going on right now are quite troubling from the Maude Aubrey case that the jury now is in deliberation to what happened in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. A lot of things have been triggering, not just those individual cases, but what they say about the larger dynamic of America, what justice look like looks like and also the larger society. So what are some of the things that you are thinking about in 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 a lot of your roles, not just as the CEO of Democracy for America, but you are a black woman navigating this space every single day of your of your life. But you also have the role of role of leader and teacher. So what are some of your thoughts about what's going on right now? You know, it's a tough time. There is no way to say it. Uh, other than that, uh, I was talking to my my good sister Jessica Berg, who I know you know also from the great state of Ohio. Yeah, and she talked about just the weight of human suffering, the fact that there is so much suffering happening with people in this country, especially Black and Brown people. You know, we've always been in a state of emergency. <laughs> There's always been system yeah. failure after system failure, correction systems working as they were designed against our best interests. And we've had to work against that in our own country, a country that we built, a country that we fight for every day. 
But we have the bombardment of reminders of what our value is, the, you know, what, what society says our value is. That bombardment and reminding us that, that even though we've been in this country for over 400 years, they still see us as less than, as not enough, mm-hmm. as zero. Um, you know, it can be exhausting. And I get where a lot of folks in the movement are really taking a break. Self care is a form of resistance. But we also have to lean in, right? Because if we don't fight back against the message and the messengers who would say that we need to make America great again at a time when it wasn't great for any of us, but it was great Come for on. some people, and we don't fight against that, we will lose. We will lose what we have, we will lose what, what we had. And so what, I, what I'm leaning into is we have a major system failure and that every system that we have learned to rely on, even though it wasn't built for us, is failing. Democracy is failing. The justice system, which often is the last resort for people when all other systems are, are, are failing, is failing. Our economic system is failing, not serving us. We don't have a system now that is serving us and it is and, and what I what I um, am really concerned about is that all the information is on the table, Nina. People see it. The evidence is here, and still it's allowed to go forward. So what do we do when we put forward truth and truth does not get us there, right? Like when people can see it in black and white. You and I know because yeah. we're in this space and we're talking about the issues of inequality, income inequality, and what we know what happens. When you have disparate systems, when you have two different systems, when you have people who are hanging off the edge while other people are doing so well, disparate becomes desperate. And I, I worry about what that means for the future of this country. I was, uh, I was thinking about James Baldwin. I love James Baldwin. And he always comes to me at the right time. And he said something, and I was talking to a, a circle of my friends, America should be so grateful that black people in this country only seek justice and not revenge. Because yeah. based on what we have suffered and what we continue to suffer in this 2021 with a Kyle Rittenhouse being able to gun down protesters, white protesters protesting in favor of black lives and to walk away with zero charges. And then what we witness, the criminal justice system, a a, a, a lawyer, a woman who has sworn to the Constitution to say the things that she said in the in the trial over Ahmaud Aubrey's murder. Yeah. So to say those things and for that to be okay, she is a jurist. She is a lawyer. She is a yeah. barrister. She is someone who is who takes an oath of ethics and morality, and she said those words. And and, and guess what? It was a blip, just like everything else. It, it, yeah. it broke up for a second. Where where's the consequence? Where's the accountability? And I think sure. we're seeing just kind of an erosion of whatever was left of decency and respect for people who call this country home and have um, called this country home for centuries. You know, it's eroding because it wasn't ever really there in a deep sense. So it makes it easy for it to erode. And that's one part that we don't want to admit. You know, that lawyer in the case, the three white men who are on trial for the murder of Mr. Aubrey. And yes, that attorney, and it rolled off her lips so calm, cool, calm, and collected as she Mm -hmm. made Armand Aubrey the, the, the criminal. 
instead of the victim. And she did it just with a, with a, with a coolness. You know, I, I was saying earlier today, there was a book that, uh, that I had to read when I was in college and it was called The Negro, The Beast. And it was mm-hmm. written by Charles Carroll in 1900. So we're looking at the early, very early part, the tip top of the 20th century. And I definitely encourage people to read this, to know that some of the things that we're hearing right now, none of this stuff is new. As King nope. Solomon said in the book of Song of Solomon, there is nothing new under the sun. They just recycling and repeat. That is exactly what they were doing. And when I was listening, I played the recording of this attorney describing Ahmad, uh, Ahmad Aubrey. And I just closed my eyes and I swear to you, sis, that book came to mind, mm-hmm. Charles Carroll, The Negro, The Beast, where he described black people as just a little higher than the apes. Mm-hmm. It said that basically God made us this way. And it was nothing that anybody can do because the die was already cast. And that is exactly what that woman was spewing in that courtroom. The entire That entire legal team from saying there were too many black uh, pastors or preachers in the courtroom, to talking about what a modern day lynching looks like. He wouldn't know one if it smacked him in the face. But just the conflation of these thoughts and ideas that have permeance, permanence, excuse me, in American culture, that these things were used in ways to dehumanize. That's exactly what the dehumanization did. She dehumanized Mr. Aubrey. That's what she did. And she believed that in her soul. And this is someone who has been entrusted with the high calling, right? Of protecting the Constitution. I'm a lawyer. I worked hard to get my law degree. It is a revered profession. It is one that requires an adherence to the rule of law, morality, and ethics. And if there is no discipline on these lawyers when this case concludes, I, I swear, <laughs> I am done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is ridiculous. No one who is who is sworn an oath to a constitution, to ethics and to morality should, in a court of law, say things like that. No. And there probably is, won't is, be. Ugh. There probably won't be any consequences. That that is. But this is the state of where we are, right? That that a woman who is supposed to be held in high regard in a profession. That is sworn to uphold the Constitution believes that she can say things like that without consequence, and we should have a whole conversation conversation about the fact that no matter what happens right now, as a result, as it relates to treatment of Black and Brown people, there seems to be no consequence, no accountability, and that's what so many people who want to make these, who want to simplify this situation, that they don't get. We're talking about compounding factors. Generation after generation after generation, policy after policy, law after law. That's Mm -hmm. what people don't get. It is bigger than just these two cases or other cases that we can cite or other situations that we can cite. It is the compounding factor, you know, like the straw. I mean, picture a straw breaking the, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. What we forget in that is that they're talking about the many straws that were piled Mm -hmm. on. And then it just took that one more that broke the camel's back. And I feel as though that is the moment that we are in right now. So now you you um, recently tweeted about there being two different Americas. Mm. You know, what did you, it reminded me of the current report, the Kerner report. Yeah, you know, that said, hey, 
two different there Americans, two one Americans. black, one white. Right, we're moving towards <laughs> that. Unequal, unjust and unequal. But you recently tweeted about there being two different Americas. We kind yeah. of been parsing that out a little bit, but you want to go a little deeper? What did you mean by that? You know, a couple things. You know, it is abundantly clear that there is America for black people and brown people, and there's America that serves white and non black people, non black and brown people. There's a system that serves poor people in this country, and there's a system that serves the wealthy people yes. in this country. There, there are, there's a system for people who have power, perceived or real. And there are, there's a system for people who are weak or lack power. Two systems in this country. And it is so abundantly clear when you see the situation. And I was talking specifically about Kyle Rittenhouse because in every single situation you can see, most people would admit that if, if Kyle Rittenhouse was black, had come across state lines with a firearm, automatic weapon, walked into that situation, he would have been murdered, apprehended, charged. He would have been murdered. If he, if he survived, he would have certainly have been apprehended. The police would have walked by him the way that they did with Kyle Rittenhouse. He would have been charged, certainly. He would have been convicted, and he would have been sentenced to some exorbitant sentence. We know that to be true. We talked about that last year with all this situation when the Proud Boys and, and the white supremacists were showing up at Capitol buildings and yeah. police were pr protecting them and not accosting them. When we know you and I have been on the front lines of protests to support black lives and police are showing up like we in public enemy number one. But we also know not just in justice and the criminal justice system and law enforcement, there's two Americas as it relates to systems that serve us. We're having a conversation about billionaires who continue to get wealthier and wealthier, not paying their fair share, taking trips to outer space, giving major gifts to who knows what with zero accountability and, and being lauded for those gifts when they're not paying their fair share. Now let me, Eric, not pay my taxes. IRS and say, oh, I'm gonna pay zero percent taxes. I found a loophole. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give my hundred dollars to charity X or charity Y. It would not pass muster, right? So the challenge with there being two Americas right now is that it's abundantly clear that there are two Americas. I said I posted not long ago. We don't have a problem of ignorance. We have a problem of courage. We don't have a problem of lack of knowledge. We have a problem of lack of will. Come and on. I was taught when I grew up, knowledge is power, knowledge is power. Knowledge is only power if you use it. And my frustration, I would take ignorance right now over, over lack of will. Okay, you don't know? All right, baby, let us teach you. We can work right. with that. You know and you refuse to do anything about it. It drives me insane. And I want to make this point. I know we're talking about the two Americas. I want to reflect on the point that Martin Luther King made about the white moderate. Yes, said, And I've talked about this a lot. Please. The challenge with the work that you and I do, Nina, as people who are charged with, uh, blessed with, favored to, um, blessed to, this is our calling, called to end human yeah. suffering and change the world for real people. The yeah. challenge is we're not just fighting against people who don't want to see that happen, who actively hate, 
who actively want to see people suffer. We are fighting against people who are maintaining the status quo. We're fighting against people who are complacent. We're fighting against people who are comfortable. We are fighting against people who are too polite to want to make real change. And it feels all the time like an uphill battle because it's not like folks don't know. They can see the suffering. They can see that America treats me and you different than it treats Mike and Ike. It, it's very, very different, but refusing, refusing to do anything about it. And that's where I get really frustrated, concerned, um, and even I think more adamant that our work needs to be more out front, more clear, uh, more bold. Because people can look at indifference and see it. They can look at a situation and see, they can look at disparate treatment. They can see that there are two Americas and they can put their head on their pillow and go to sleep and rest real comfortably and wake up and go on about their day. But let's be clear, moderation is a privilege that most people cannot afford. There it is. Time is a privilege that most of our people just don't have. There it is. you don't have the privilege of time, honey, it's real trouble. And so we need our brothers and sisters who are comfortable, complacent, who come on, they they tired and weary over Trump. They just ain't got no more to give. And remember that a vast majority of people in this country don't have even the privilege of time, not the privilege of wealth, not the the benefit of the doubt. The system works in your favor at all times. You, You can work your way out of a situation, but just the privilege of one more minute. We need to all be in relentless pursuit of protecting people who don't have the privilege of one more minute. And the fact that we know and we've seen it. I mean, I've had people comment about the fact that, like, man, especially with the Karenism that's happening right now, don't even get me started. Treated. Don't get me started. So we don't. I mean, we Listen, don't have one more minute. Oh, I wish Dr. Dr. Richie, Rashad Richie, he does Karen segments every single week on his show. And I had me a Karen encounter. I will not take up our precious time to talk about it, but when I tell you it stayed on my mind, I didn't even have time to get my to get my, my phone out to, to record the situation because I was so taken aback. This just happened to me about three days ago, a Karen encounter. This stuff is real, okay? It is it, real and it, it it builds up microaggressions. I mean, I just even thinking about it, it, it makes me mad and it makes me sad at the same time that this, anyway, I said I wasn't gonna go. I'm not gonna go there. I'm gonna save it to when I'm on uh, uh, back with Dr. <laughs> Dr. Richie. I want to be on that one. When we but the Karen encounter, baby. <laughs> but anyway, you know, there um, there are clearly two Americas. We know yeah, our health care system. You know, I mean, when Americans be- oh, black people get pneumonia, we know in yeah. the education system, we know that there's the miseducation and the the lack of education of black and brown people right now. Name a system, two Americas. And it's abundantly clear. There is not a lack of information or data around the way that this country treats people differently based just on the color of their race. We can talk about all other types of isms and schisms and the way that they affect people who are in who are characterized as other. There are two Americas. And it is not okay. It is not okay. 
not in the 21st century. So again, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So the commission's 1968 report, and I'm talking about the Kerner report. Kerner commission. Mm-hmm. And, and this commission was put together by President Lyndon Baines Johnson. At the time, there were upheavals all over the country. And this is what they concluded. The nation was moving towards two societies, one black, one white, separate and unequal. Unless conditions were remedied, the commission warned the country faced a system of apartheid. Hello, in major cities, there it is. And nothing of substance, like deep rooted, you know, the roots, you know how when trees grow and the roots are deep, baby, that the wind can't even knock them down. Nothing has changed to that degree. And, so and you know see- that that came out of, you were talking about the unrest that happened. We had it here in Cincinnati. A yes. judge that I've worked with and worked for, Judge Nathaniel Jones, was a part of the Kerner Commission, and I got love, to see his papers I and work love, on that. I love, I, I love Judge Nathaniel Jones. I gotta just say that. Oh my God, may he rest in peace. And yes. he, I got, I got privy to his papers. He was talking about this, but that's Amazing what I mean when I talk champion. about disparate leads to desperate. Yeah. That that commission came out of cities literally on fire. Yes, they did. When, when you leave people in a state. That they have no other means when every system has failed them and they have tried to do this the right way. We will, we will only, the only way people know how to respond is through desperation. And desperation can lead to a lot of trouble. A lot of a lot. And 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 you know, and I wanted to get there. We no, don't we don't. And no, not at all. We don't. But other people who have the power have to not want it to get there either and address these situations, not making excuses. Uh, for people, however, there is something that must be done. So in our, you know, we we're we're uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. You know, yeah. we've laid out the heaviness, and I do want the remaining minutes of our time because I want to ask you about hope. Some people uh, don't have as much during this Thanksgiving holiday, and that's something that happens every single year. So God bless the food banks and people that are giving out food and comfort to folks. At this time, Madam CEO, despite all that we are enduring and going through in the assignment that I believe that the creator has given us and some other people to be 21st century freedom fighters. You talked about a state of emergency. It made me think about Sister Tamika Mallory's book, A State of Emergency, where she talked about all of these things, just throwing that out. But what gives you hope in this moment as we reflect on the Thanksgiving holiday? So I love this question. I'm glad we're going to end on this. Um, So I think about what Angela Davis said. Um, She said, you have to believe that you can radically transform the world and you have to believe it all the time. And whenever I quote that, I talk about how if you are a progressive and you believe in progress and you're a freedom fighter, you have to wake up every day, look at the world and believe that it can get better. And what gives me hope is you. What gives me hope is people who I know across this country who are in legislative seats, who are in mayoral seats, who are like us, leading movement, working hand in hand, hand in glove with the labor movement, with our workers on the front line. It is the people who have been called and who know and understand the assignment. And who are doing it every single day against all odds, not for glory or fame, 
but because it is our high calling to serve those who need us the most. My hope is in you. My hope is in the people who have been committed, even when we have been discouraged, disparaged, our reputation tarnished, we continue to go forward in pursuit of that beautiful thing called love. I love when you talk about love. Come love for human now. beings, love for each other, and that ultimate assignment, which we understand and we do, which is to make this world better for people in every single way we can, small and large ways. And to suffering wherever it exists. So you give me hope, my sister. You, well, all my other sisters in the movement and the struggle. Back at you, you give me hope too, and so many others. I'm right with you. You know, there's a song in the Christian tradition, love lifted me, baby. Ultimately, no matter what we are going through, love will lift. And love is not weak, love is strong, love makes demands. And love does not stand silently by in the face of injustice. So this Thanksgiving, we are spreading all kinds of love. We wanna lift people this Thanksgiving. Please, from our families to yours, we hope that you have a happy, happy Thanksgiving. Keep the faith and keep the fight.